Hey guys, welcome to the Music Box. Today, on this episode, we're talking about 1999, the year that music changed again. Stick around. Hey everybody, welcome to the Music Box. I'm Jimmy here with my brother Wade. What's going on, everybody? Today we're going to talk a little bit about a year that maybe escaped a lot of us, but it feels like 1999 was kind of the time when when music shifted away from the grunge movement of the early, well, right up through the late 90s, really, and kind of shifted into something else entirely. Yeah, yeah, post-grunge, lots of pop. Yeah, lots your you know your pop princesses and things like that. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, it should be a, an absolutely interesting show, and I'm at, I'm so happy that you're at my house a second time in the same week. It's fantastic. Um, um, you're one of my favorite people in the world to hang around, and ditto. Uh, I appreciate you. Um, uh, here's a plug, just real quick for all you Music Box uh, podcast listeners. Stay tuned. Uh, Jimmy and I are really considering uh, changing the name of the podcast because we cannot get approved for Apple um, Podcasts because there are is somebody else that has the name already. Um, we tried to do our due diligence when we named it in the right. beginning, but somebody else was actually out there. And so uh, we're going to be changing this. So if you have any ideas... Hit us on our Instagram. Send us a message. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Give give us an opinion because we're trying to find the right thing that kind of uh, um, is an example of what Jimmy and I do on this podcast. So uh, we love our listeners to uh, to yeah, have uh, chime in. Yeah. Have a, have a little input. Follow us on Instagram at the Music Box Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Music Box Pod. Uh, send us a message. Guys, stay involved with us. I know that the Instagram isn't going like crazy. It's my <laughs> my uh, it's my fourth Instagram that I run. And so um, now that I have a little time, maybe we'll put some pictures up. I'll take some. Before we're done today, I'll take some and uh, we'll we'll throw some up there. But, I would have uh, put on my eyeliner if I knew there were going to be pictures. Your guy liner? My guy liner. <laughs> I love the guy liner. <laughs> Hey, speaking of guyliner, the uh, the Tiger Queen, or King, oh, King, the Tiger King, Tiger King, uh, wears a guyliner. Yeah, yeah, and it looks tattooed. So, um, if he's you a, haven't seen the Tiger King, he's here's a handsome a- gentleman in general. I think. <laughs> if you haven't seen the Tiger King at this point, you probably <laughs> not like, quarantined. Literally, have just literally taken the quarantine seriously. Oh, like you haven't God. opened your eyes in three weeks. <laughs> Oh, the Tiger King cracks me up. Uh, what a crazy show. Anyway, go watch it. Leave us a message if, you, if you've if you watched it. That, uh, <laughs> and that really, really cracks me up. But, um, <clears throat> man, anything um, anything crazy going on? Anything uh, happening? You know, Works just good? the whole world's crazy. Everything's good outside of that. Outside of the world being a madhouse, but... Yeah, I was in. Uh, went to a neighborhood market today, and they had uh, basically everything except toilet paper. So that was kind of nice to go in a grocery store, and they had milk and bread and meat and, and eggs, canned goods, eggs, eggs. Yeah, like like there was a little bit of something on every shelf, so that was good. Yeah, it yeah. feels like feels like maybe things are uh, getting back to normal, even though as we record this, the virus is 
uh, still growing, still growing uh, yeah. exponentially every day. So, so yeah, just uh, hope everybody's uh, taking care of themselves, taking this thing seriously. You know, I uh, think I think one of the things that we've thought about a lot lately is that you know we're we're relatively healthy people, and you know uh, if we contracted the virus, it probably you know, we'd probably have a good chance of, of getting through it unscathed, but the idea of, of having it and carrying it around again with somebody who isn't in as good of, you know, physical, you know, that mm-hmm. or compromised somehow is is obviously a terrible thought to think that you could give somebody uh, a thing that would end their life ultimately, you know, kind of just by not knowing that you even had the thing. It was sure. just a terrible thing to think about. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we all had to get to. Right. Because in the beginning, we're like, I'm fine. I'm right. fine. I'm good. But then, you know, it's a 14-day type of incubation period. So yeah. it kind of changes the way you think. You know, if you care for others, just take care of yourself. Use common sense, guys. Yep. Wash your hands. Do all take that care stuff. Yourself. Take care of the people <clears throat> that aren't yourself. You know, think think outside of your own your own walls, like, you know, to the, to the people that are immunocompromised or, you know, are elderly or people that are battling cancer. And you know what I mean? There are all kinds of people that would fall into that category and it would be uh, a terrible thing to, to have to think that maybe you, you contributed to the spread of the disease to a person that wasn't able to, to make it through. So yeah, I mean, it's super hard. I mean, I'm a small business owner and we're not, I mean, we're trying to keep people hanging on through virtual classes. So right. I get it. I understand. Yeah, and but, and uh, God bless all you people out there that are, you know, salon workers or tattoo artists. Uh, uh, obviously, a lot of people that are in food service are struggling right now. People in the travel industry are struggling right now. You know, just hoping good things for you guys and and just feeling blessed that, I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm in a my wife and I are both in in businesses that are considered essential to sure. to survival. So so we're fortunate right now, but we're keeping the we're trying to trying to order takeout when we can and tipping big. You know, yeah, it's like, do your thing. I like I, help people out when you can. We talked a little bit on the last episode about go to your favorite artist website and buy a thing. Yeah, you know, but. But go yeah, buy a T-shirt. Yeah, the entertainment business is hurting, going to be hurting bad right now. You know, Zach Brown came out uh, earlier this week and talked about how to, how he had to lay off a bunch of his crew and stuff because they just had to cancel every show they had. You know, and it's that's a hard thing when you know. I think probably, you know, when I think about the 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 plight of an artist, especially a music artist, is that. They have a lot of people counting on them, a lot of families counting on them to be able to go out and play these shows and, 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 you know, sell tickets. You know, there's a lot of people on the payroll that aren't on the credits for the album. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And so, they, and, so they, and I know it's hundreds of people. The, the Zach Brown thing really, I guess was the, was the first time I had really, um, heard about it, but he did a thing, you know, where he talked about how hard it was for him. And I just, you know, feel for him as a as their boss, and I feel for those people as as people that are you know struggling right now, trying to find work. And that's you know those those are skilled positions, but they're very very focused on a very you know what I mean. Those, those that skill set doesn't carry over into a lot of other industries, so they're just kind of well. 
and that's your family. It's literally your touring family. You spend so much time with those people, absolutely, and and you feel their pain really acutely. And so, but so just keeping a good thought for those folks too. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a here's the thing that I think once this all lifts, there's going to be such a massive resurgence of people going to concerts and. Going out and 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 supporting the bands and the and the musicians and the artists that they love, Absolutely. and um, man, do it, do it, do it. There's a, an awesome lineup at our local venue. It's a really big venue, bringing in really massive national acts and worldwide acts. Yep. Um, we'll go, go like, and we're, then we're gonna go and go and support these regional guys. You know what I mean? The, yeah, absolutely. The those people are the ones, that are man. that are struggling a little more. You know the guys like. Like uh, you know that aren't that aren't selling out arenas when they start selling tickets again. They're selling out theaters or selling theaters or even big clubs. You know the people that that play at your local, you know clubs. Those those guys are you know what I mean. They're going to be hurting a little bit too. So and the clubs themselves, you know, aren't you know they're not able to be open right now. They're not able to make money right now. So yeah, yeah let's, support. Let's get out and. And uh, support local spend music. some money when we get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. So that's that's quite a long intro, but uh, a lot of good stuff to be said. Guys, we appreciate you listening. Um, thanks for just hanging in there with us. Um, through this time, we're going to be spitting out some episodes. I can feel that coming, especially through quarantine <laughs> time. Uh, uh, but we just want to have some fun today, right here absolutely. at the 10-minute mark. We're going to talk about 19... And 99 through, yeah, right around 2002, there was quite a shift, excuse me, quite a shift in in the music business and the music that we were consuming. Right. Okay. So we go <clears throat> early um, 1990s, the shift from hair metal and then grunge comes in and hip hop starts. All right. Hip hop starts. And then, yeah. then, and then mid 90s, we had... Lots of either super grungy heavy bands. You had your Panteras. You had your Metallicas, who right. made a completely different album with the Black Album. Like music was shifting and changing. Yeah. But right around 1999, um, 98, 99, things started to shift. We had um, a massive, massive, massive following of people watching MTV. Okay. And whether you guys want to admit it or not, MTV changed music from the early 80s all the way until about 2005. They could make you or break you. Yeah. Right? right. They exposed people to music. They exposed people to music videos. I believe that ZZ Top would never be as big as they are if it was not for MTV in the early 80s. Right. Because they they came out, started making music videos, and it was weird. Such a visual thing. Absolutely. And so... Everything started shifting. Like, if I think about 1999, that's my freshman year in high school, okay? Um, uh, 2000, I'm a sophomore. I graduated in 2002. So we're literally talking about my high school days. That's like your prime time. That's the prime time of influence. You're like 17 to 19, 20, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there is a lot. And a musician. So you were consuming a lot of music as a consumer. You're spending a lot of money on music and a lot of time listening to music. Yeah, I spent a lot of money on music until about the year 2001 or 2000. And we started burning CDs. 
yeah. and ripping it off a of LimeWire. I'm not gonna lie, everybody did that, right? Right. Um, so uh, I I still have some of the first CDs that I burned, and yeah. and a lot of it was older stuff. It was Tupac stuff. It was um, all all of these other influences that that I had in my life. But what? Let me ask you a question. Let me try to take us somewhere. What do you feel happened when let's let's talk about TRL? Mm-hmm. Remember T- Total yep. Request Live on MTV yep, for sure. TRL comes on the scene right about that time, and music starts to shift. It starts to be very very like marketed and and mainstream in the public eye all the time, and so you start seeing boy bands come around ninety seven. Yeah. Right. Um, your your diva, your new age divas, your Christinas and your Mandy Moores and right. Jessica Simpsons and and your Britney Spears and all of this pop star thing starts to blow up again, like it did kind of in the eighties, but in a different way. Yeah, like we watch music begin to shift, right, to a very like a spectacle type of thing. What um, uh, what are your thoughts on that era of music? Well, I think probably the. Uh the whole grunge thing had just kind of played out over the course of 10 years. Um, the, uh, you know, and another thing that kind of, that kind of spun up in that, that mid nineties range was this sort of almost like a pop folk kind of, uh, thing that happened. I'm thinking about like, like people like Sarah McLaughlin, uh, Alanis, Alanis, kind of these, uh, the you know it wasn't necessarily a grunge thing, but there was a lot of acoustic music in that time. Uh, it was kind of oh, a big I, thing. I the Fiona Apple, yeah, the uh, the kind of yeah, you know, almost like you know there were no Bob Dylans in that time, probably, but music that had that sort of feel to it, where it was singer songwritery and you know acoustic instrument driven. Uh, you know, a lot of the rock music of that time was like that, you know, it kind of spun out of that, that late eighties acoustic, you know, hair bands, Mm -hmm. you know, were doing acoustic records and, and setting out parts of their set that were acoustic and it kind of gave way to that in the middle nineties. Um, but I think probably all of that had just kind of, kind of come to the end of itself, like kind of the, the, you know, the festival circuit was starting to fade a little bit. Mm. You didn't have these, you know, Lollapalooza was winding down to where it wasn't in every single state. You know what I mean? Right. Or they Warped. weren't doing 20 shows a year. Yeah, and Warp Tour was Warped fixing Tour to take was off. about to take off. But yeah, I think it just kind of was a, uh, I don't know. I think that it was just kind of the, the backlash of I don't, I don't want brooding music anymore. I want... You know, like the public was consuming, uh, for lack of a better term, lighter music. Sure. You know, more pop-focused music. You know, like you talked about the boy bands. You know, they're not talking about heavy life issues. That isn't, you know, Pearl Jam Black. It's <laughs> Bye Bye Bye. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, sure. Like, it's not that sort of dark, brooding thing. People were wanting something lighter, right. maybe. Or... So, in... In in a sense, if we if we're thinking about it, um, in the early eighties, the the revolution of just MTV itself showing a music video, 
right. changed record sales, changed bands' lives, well, changed things all together. And in the late 90s, I, I'm looking, I remember watching TRL, going home and watching TRL. I was being force-fed yeah. this stuff, and this right. influenced the right. things that I liked. Yeah. Right? And VH1... Because it's what you were exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had no other way. There was no other way to be exposed except right. for what was on the radio. What I seen on MTV, I remember the first time I seen Smells Like Teen Spirit on a music video. Right. I do remember that. Yeah. Right? Um, I remember the first time that I uh, watched a Foo Fighters video, the Everlong video. Oh, with yeah. The, with the big freaking hand. With the big hand. The, with like the a big dreamy, hand. Like the weird dream sequence videos. Like, yeah. I, I remember that. But kids nowadays, they don't care about that stuff. It's what is going to pop up on my social media. So the music is different. So right. we would have to go into the mid to late 90s to wa- to talk about another shift in the music business. Right. right? But now at the end of the 90s, we, we, we are moving into the only media outlet that I have as a teenager is yep. either my radio or MTV. MTV, right. And so... Music just went crazy. I yeah. remember the first time I seen Limp Biscuits Nookie video on TRL, by the yeah. way, people. Right? Like like and then I said like three times. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. You, you just went back to nineteen ninety nine. That's no, that's now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize for that. I kinda got um a little bit uh caught up in the moment. Caught up in the moment. Um <laughs> But uh, I think there was a massive shift in the late 90s, and then we roll to about 2002, and then it shifts again to a, a little more punk, a little more My Chemical Romance, Sum 41, right. Simple Plan, yeah. like this punk movement, Under Oath starts, my, uh, yeah. you know. Um, but even as far back as 99, I just kind of went and Googled kind of the rock, the number one rock hits, or number one rock chart songs from Billboard. In 1999, do you know what comes up the first week of 1999? You know what the number one song was on February 13th of 99? Can I guess? Yeah. Um, um, is it Train? No, it's Everlast. What oh, it's it's a, like. what it's like. Yep. Like, do you know what I mean? That's not where, rock. Where I come from, that's a rap song. Yep. But, but like I said, I grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know where MTV, you know, in a way, let me let me say this: the MTV launch in the early '80s turned music into a primarily visual art form, art form, pop mm-hmm. music in particular, but all music became a visual art form, and grunge was the counterculture to that. Absolutely, you went from this glossed up. Everybody's pretty. Everybody's got on makeup and they're well lit to guys who had hair in their face and they were wearing flannel shirts that were too big. You know what I mean? And they never looked up. You didn't know what they looked like even after you saw the video. You didn't know what they looked like. Even Or Jeremy. Right. That video caused some controversy. Right. But, you know, but, you know, part of the grunge movement was the backlash to the to the excess, the cult of personality that MTV launched in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? And so then it kind of got played out where, like, 
you know, well, you know, Nirvana, they were a bunch of hardcore punk kids when Smells Like Teen Spirit hit. But listen, by the time the follow-up comes out, they were multi-millionaires. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different world mm-hmm. for those people as people, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, obviously Kurt didn't deal with that very well. Um, right. You know, I don't think Chris dealt with it very well. You know, right. Dave found his, figured out his way through it. But but that's a thing you see happen with artists a lot. When they become famous, they're obviously different people than they are after they've they've become a worldwide phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they don't have as much angst as they had when they spent five years writing their first big hit album. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then and then you get to this point in time to where that's kind of played out, where I don't want to see these millionaires brood about how bad life is. And so you get back to this kind of cleaned up, you know, uh, brighter sort of feeling in the world. Yeah. And then or at to, least in in the musical taste, right? Well, I mean, there was just so much money to be made. I mean, like you have early right. early nineties boy bands. You had New Kids on the Block. You have uh, Boys to Men was kind of the R and B kind of style right. there for uh, boy uh, boy bands or whatever. Right. But Backstreet Boys coming out ninety seven, just that it was literally a put together to. Right. Make money group of people. Well, it's like a okay. it's like an all star team, right? Yeah. They handpicked each of these guys for, you know, probably a variety of reasons, but at least two reasons, right? They were good looking they, and they could sing. They were good looking and they could sing. Yep. Right. So that's different than maybe new kids on the block from the eighties. That wasn't as important then. It was more about image, in that time than it was about talent. I mean, if you look at the boy bands that came out in the later nineties. In sync, Backstreet Boys, those guys are talented people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody in their right mind could say that Justin Timberlake isn't an immensely talented human being. And you look at other groups of that time, uh, uh, you know, the girl groups of that time. Uh, early 2000, you have Destiny's Child. Destiny's yeah, Child, obviously Beyonce. And, you know, Ke- Kelly Rowland is not Beyonce in the terms of superstardom, but she's a phenomenally talented human being. Well, I mean, look, you got TLC, you have Salt and Pepper, you have exactly all of and, these. And just groups, amazing yeah. work they all did. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but it was a different, you know, it was that shift from from this person I can't see brooding about big topics to a lighter fair. A lighter fair. Girl power and girl power. And, let's make it look pretty. Let's yep. let's make pop. Let's write catchy songs. Right. It doesn't really matter um, about the live. I mean, it was all about performance and the way you look right. and get on MTV and make it look good, and you'll you'll be a star. Right. <clears throat> and so they took the the model of the boy band and they said, all right, now let's, let's focus in on individuals. And then you have your Britney's and you have your Christina's and you have your Mandy Moore's and your Jessica Simpson's. And these people, these people are all coming out of a farm for young, talented people called Disney, the Mickey Mouse club, the Mickey Mouse club. Right. So, and Disney still to this day, they've built an entire network on it. Ariana Grande. I've taken seven, eight young people with talent, you know, 
the showbiz kids with showbiz parents and turning them into massive, massive stars. Money makers. Money makers. It's yep. like Disney Channel is a printing press for $100 bills. <laughs> I need a few. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I need a few. Stacks and stacks of them every day coming out of there. So, <clears throat> right around 98-ish, 97, 98, there was an underground movement of music that was happening. The post-grunge music. Right. Right? So I want to shift from the popular MTV kind of side of things yeah. and roll into the underground uh, rock and roll of yeah. the 1990s because it was different too. It wasn't grunge. Right. It, it was wasn't Pantera. Grunge. It wasn't Metallica. It wasn't Nirvana or the Foo Fighters because Foo Fighters were 97. Right? Okay, so now we're in 99 and we have this new wave of like rap core. Rap core comes right. out. Right. Okay, bands like Limp Bizkit, yep. bands like uh, one of my favorites, especially in the early days, Linkin Park. Linkin Park's first two records are heavy and awesome. Some of the first exposure I actually got to screaming in music, and that's what was super attracted me to that kind of stuff. Um, but also we have Corn. Corn is out here, and Father Leader comes out in '99. Yeah, right. Fall the Leader is a massive record for Corn. So rock is changing; it's becoming more progressive. Right. Um, and and you know, bands like Corn probably existed to a degree before bands like Corn started being popular. Sure, yeah. But the fact that the musical landscape was such in such a way that you could be a band like Corn or a band like like Linkin Park or Limp Bizkit that was that was blending genres and still have commercial success was a thing that didn't happen prior to no. this era. No, it was it was you couldn't do that. And right. so now we're watching the landscape of music change to this this different sound, right. right? Like it's it's literally as night and day as hair metal rolling into grunge. Yeah. Now we got grunge rolling into screaming and and rap and core. rapping. Yeah. yeah, rapping and and moving in. and then metal uh, and kind and taking of off. like like this is gonna sound like a scathing indictment, and I don't mean it that way, but sort of pulling back the musicianship of making a record mm-hmm. and turning it more into a sound or a feeling or an image, you know, or a, uh, or just an overall feel from the sort of, you know, I mean, I mean, Nirvana, they were a hardcore band, right? They played like a hardcore band, Sure, but you know, when you, when you think about bands like Pearl Jam, those are serious musicians making serious music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're all very talented with their instruments, right? And when you get into this sort of, you know, that that sort of uh, virtuosity from a musician standpoint kind of takes a backseat to the vibe. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like corn. Uh, to me, when I think about corn, I think about this sound. Corn sounds like corn. But musicianship isn't the top of their list. It's that sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying, like, obviously that bass sound 
is oh, Fieldy ridiculous. Has some crazy I mean, it's ridiculous, and it is that band in my head. You know what right. I mean? It, but it's not like well, Corn honestly is 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 Fieldy and Head and Jonathan Davis. Right. Like the emotion of Jonathan Davis's lyrics. Right. The the sound of the bass. It's and, the sound of the head. bass. It's, it's it isn't. It's not the, the technique. It's not. It's not Victor Wooten. It's not the song structure. Right. Yeah, that it's guy's that got the easiest sound. job on the planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like he's just beating that same note. Just hits over it with his and thumb and yeah. figured out. It's kind of like, like Lemmy did with Motorhead. He right. found a sound. Yeah. And when you hear Ace of Spades, you're you like, know. oh my god, that's a Lemmy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's the sound. And Corn is the same way. Um, a little plug though, Corn's new record is heavy and awesome. Cool. Came out last yeah. year. It is heavy and awesome, and I right. love the fact that Corn came out with a new record. Um, anyway, those guys, props to them, doing it twenty years. Well, and here's the, here's the interesting thing I found when I went back and just kind of looked at that era, that ninety nine to two thousand two. Other bands that were having success in that time, other rock bands that were having success in that time, were kind of throwback bands to that eighties kind of hair metal sound, like. Like example. Creed. Yeah, Creed. Right? Creed. Huge in 99. When I Human Clay was yeah. huge. When I heard 99. Creed the first time, I thought, well, that's music I grew up on. That's 80s rock music. Like, not the excessive hair music, but that was the kind of music that I grew up liking, right? Was sure. Creed and Three Doors Down. They wow. were like a they were like a straight up rock band in the 80s, maybe even in the vein of uh of a Bon Jovi or a Tesla, you know what I mean? Where they had this kind of Southern sensibility to them and they were just writing that, songs. Just boys you know? from Tennessee, man. Yeah. And there were, you know, there were bands like that in the interim, but, but when you look at those, if, when you look at the charts from those years, the years we're talking about, 99 to 2002, they're in there a lot. Creed. Absolutely. Three Doors Down. Um, uh, Collective Soul. Collective Soul, man. Was another big band in that era. Let and me tell you. And it's kind of a, it kind of goes back without the outfit and the image, the music itself, when you break it down to that level, feels very much like the good music of, that I grew up on. Yeah. The music I, that I liked when I was a kid. I totally get that. Um, one of my favorite records from the year 2000, let's start talking about this for a second. One of my favorite records, um, uh, Fuel. Yeah. Fuel's record, uh, Something Like Human. Yeah. Um, what an incredible record. It had hemorrhage can, on it. Had I can sit here and tell you right now that that record has a lot more hit songs on it than anybody listening to this podcast realizes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was a massive record. It yes. is. It um, is chock full of radio mainstay hits. And and honestly, you don't realize that every song on the record, that's a really heavy record. Yeah. No, Fuels, it is a good record. Something Like Human uh, record is so heavy. Their first record, though, uh, Sunburn, came out, like I think, in 98. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shimmer's on that, uh, which is one of my favorite songs to play. Um, but... Fuel was a massive, and I hate it that their lead singer went all freaking wacko. 
but I'm so glad that I got to experience that. Right. Here's another band. Let me let me just throw it out there. Throw it out. Nickelback. Nickelback came roaring on the scene late '90s. Yep. Um, and here we have "How You Remind Me" was the number one song in 2002. This year, I graduated from high school. Yep. Um, "How You Remind Me" was huge, and I remember sitting in my car in the parking lot every time it was on the radio because I didn't have the CD yet. It was on the radio. I would just listen to it. I'm like, yeah. Oh my god! And and I became a Nickelback fan. Right. Um, you don't sell millions of records and 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 tour the world constantly if you're not good. Right. I don't understand why people hate Nickelback. I think it's just a cultural thing. But uh, well, it just um, turned out that way. Those you know, guys it's were like, massive, man. And I was gonna say that that it bears mentioning that that if you don't if you don't have the uh, the perspective of history. Nickelback, Creed, they're punchline bands now, but in that time, they were as big as any musical act on the planet Earth. Yes. Like, they were gigantic, stratosphere-level rock bands, and just artists in their own right. They were selling out stadiums on the regular festivals during that time. You know what I mean? They were a gigantic, massive draw and a huge success. Yeah. Um, I will say, too, that uh, one of the things I noticed just going through the charts of that era, there are a couple of bands that stuck out to me as as bands that have stood the test of time. And they're both still relevant bands to this day, and they have been for four decades. Metallica. Metallica. Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Hit songs, hit rock songs in, in the that 90s. era. And... Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers, baby. They're on my list. The Red Hot Chili Peppers have been a thing since the mid-80s. Yes. Guys, this is not a new thing. And the next time they have an album, guess what? It's going to have a couple of hit songs on it. Yep. And that that kind of staying power, that kind of relevance through decades and through the, the sort of massive changes that we're talking about, yeah. What is that? How does that happen? I, I don't understand. But here's the thing with Red Hot Chili Peppers for me. I have a, quite a story about that. I got in trouble in third grade. Uh, I took a paper home um, that asked me what my favorite band was, and I put the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> on it. And my parents got really mad at me because mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to listen to that music. Um, but I think here's the thing you got Anthony Kiedis as a lead singer, and you have. Um, Chad Smith as a drummer, right. uh, a.k.a. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quit reading my mind, you butt. Um, and you have Flea on bass. Yeah. If there's anybody that has made a band that is not a lead singer, it's Flea. It's Flea. Yeah, Flea, Flea on bass for Red Hot Chili Peppers makes that band. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first time I heard Give It Away. Yeah. I was blown away as a drummer that was the best sounding no, snare I, I had ever heard in my life. And listen, Blood Sugar Even Sex to this Magic, day. That's the album that made the Red Hot Chili Peppers a household name. Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yes. But they have albums before that. The first time I heard about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I had a good buddy growing up, Britt Turner. He was a skater kid. I was not a skater kid. He was just a cool guy. We hung out. Uh, the first time I heard Red Hot Chili Peppers was probably like, mid 80s and he had some kind of 
you know, underground cassette of the nice. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice. And let me tell you something. If we were listening to that record right now, you'd be able to tell very little difference between that music and the music they're making right now. You know, and for a band, like, I mean, they've had that kind of funk punk thing the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's a punk and rock they're, attitude. They're just good at it. And just, and just funk music, just... And, uh, you know, a great bass player and a really ridiculous rhythm section and a guitar player that stays out of the way. And then Anthony Kiedis doing what he does. Just writing, writing and, basic and he, California songs. It's not like that guy is, you know, he's not the great, he's not Steve Perry, guys. He's not the greatest rock singer that ever lived. No. And he's, you know, he's half rapping all the time. You know what I mean? He was a rapper before there was rappers. And you know what I mean? He's just like... That band, that combination of people has gotten it done for four decades on a massive level. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Um, here's some other bands. Let me throw it back. Uh, I'll say Puddle of Mud. Puddle um, of Mud. They were a big band at that same time. That kind of Creed and Nickelback and Three Doors Down. They were coming yep, into the Puddle, scene. There. Puddle of Mud came into the scene and they stayed for one record. Yeah. Honestly, Actually, two records. Um, she... Uh, the, they had a famous and she effing hates me right. was the two that singles was massive, yeah. off of um, the second record. Uh, but the problem with Puddle of Mud, let's talk about it, was Wes Scantlin couldn't keep his nose out of the cocaine. And, yeah. and he, any live video I've ever seen of Puddle of Mud, he's terrible. Yeah. He is absolutely terrible. He, uh, that is what happens when you make it big too quick and you don't take any kind of vocal coaching and you just completely destroy your voice. Yeah. And then you drink alcohol and snort cocaine. Yeah, I mean, it's um, a, the temptations there. It's happened to a million, you know, it's a cliche. Absolutely. It's, a, it's a rock and roll cliche. Yeah. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, last year, Puddle Mud came out with a new record. Yeah. They did. And I listened to a couple of songs... Um, not absolutely terrible, but just that's yeah, dated. Yeah. dated. Yeah, it's dated. It's okay. Good for them. Go right. for it. Tour some shows. Play three, four hundred seat venues, and yeah. do what you want to for a living. Right. Hey, it's twenty Nothing years later. Nothing wrong with that. It's twenty years later. Let's do it. Um, we're gonna have to talk about Hanson one of these days because. Hanson's dude Hanson's legit let's not even go there that's not they're the real deal we'll talk about that one of these days that's 1997 so we'll have to go there (laughs) Um, we've talked about Creed one of my absolute favorite bands from this time was Saliva uh, um, Saliva was I just watched a video of that guy uh, Joey this is Joey Mm -hmm. Uh, he was in a it's like a I just saw it on YouTube I think it was this week. I don't remember the song they were singing. It was one of the saliva songs. But there were like four or five guys playing acoustic guitar. And the video was shot in like a 360 thing where you could scan while you were watching a video to the Mm -hmm. different guys. They were sitting in a circle. So you could go around the circle in 360 degrees. What a really... Was it new? It was... I don't know, honestly, if it was new. It seemed like it was newer. Well, yeah, that Like it was a newish thing. Um but man, what a talented dude! Yeah. Um, Listen, uh, if you can do it sitting on a bar stool with an acoustic on your lap, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I get that. Um, 
So saliva was massive. Um, they put out some really good music. Memphis Rockers. So they have some soul in their yeah. music. They had a little of the rap core type of thing uh, with Joey. Um, he ended up quitting that band and uh, gave his life to Jesus. And, wow. and that's where he's at now, uh, which is pretty cool. And Saliva tours now with a new lead singer. And the last Saliva song that I heard was just about six months ago. I saved it to my playlist. They did a cover of Eminem's Lose Yourself. Oh, cool. Which is one of the best rap songs ever written. Eminem's a genius. Um, we can talk about that in the Hanson show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Saliva covers Eminem's Lose Yourself in a rock and roll version. Yeah. And it's actually pretty good. Yeah. But I miss the days of uh, Chad Kroger and Joey getting together and singing that hero song for the Spider-Man yeah. soundtrack. That's uh, in 2002. That's, that is slicked up heavy rock oh, at its finest. Oh, yeah. The hero can save us. Um, man, Blink-182 was big in 99. Let's talk about some... I mean, live was still big. Let's talk about somebody that was rolling onto the scene. And we're, we're getting into 40 minutes. And we're, we don't even know what we're talking about at this point. But somebody rolling onto the scene in 99 that was going to just blow the doors off was Kid Rock. Oh, yeah. Kid Rock was coming in, and all yeah. of a sudden, Ba with the Ba comes out. Yeah. And I had never heard anything like that. Never heard anything Dude, like that. like, long-haired, almost got a mullet. He's got redneck a Redneck. Redneck. He's got, a, he's got a, a little person on stage and a, <laughs> and a black chick drummer. Yeah. Who's like phenomenal? Yeah, yeah, like a black chick drummer, a, a little Powerhouse person on drummer, stage, yeah. and this guy's saying words that I don't yeah. understand, and I like it. Yeah, like no, something's that, wrong with me. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I don't know, like if the inner city was gathered around a pond, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, like an episode of Shameless. Yeah. <laughs> What a great analogy. Well done. Uh, other bands coming to their own at this time. Stained. Yeah, I got them on my list too, man. Uh, Godsmack. Yes, coming sir. Coming up through the ranks during this time. I have a really cool thing about Godsmack. Can I say it? Yeah. Um, an awesome thing. Godsmack's first record that had Voodoo on it, that had Stay Away. Um, if you're a Godsmack fan, you love this record. Yeah. I remember it being on the jukebox at my pool hall up by the school, mm -hmm. I would listen to Voodoo and Stay Away, but they spent $11,000 from friends and family on that record Yeah, that made them millions, millions. and yeah. millions and millions, sold millions of records. They spent eleven grand on and it. And that's, that's really, that's an interesting point. It's the dawning of that, of technology bringing the ability of a band or an artist to make a legitimate professional sounding recording with their own money on their own time in their own space. Yep. Godsmack did it, man. You know, I mean, I mean, pro tools for all of its downfall to, to musical integrity, it really allowed things like that to happen for a band to go into a recording. Uh, to a recording studio and make a record for eight, ten, eleven thousand dollars of their own money, and make an album on a level that it's ready for mass consumption. If you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just them. It was the White Stripes. The, yeah, I heard 
that the White Stripes spent $8,000 making that record that made the White Stripes, that made Jack White a superstar, $8,000, and they sold millions and millions of copies of it. You know? That's crazy. It's crazy. And and Pro Tools, you know, the technology uh, to record music without having to go to a professional recording studio and spend hundreds of dollars an hour for time opened the world, opened the world of recording to anybody who had the patience to sit down and learn how to use a computer program. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, gosh, give me i I'll give you like three bands that, uh, super big lit <laughs> lit. I was um, just listening to uh, Miserable the other day. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. <laughs> and I had I had my son Trey in the car. He's eighteen. Oh God, yeah, I'm sure he, he liked that first line. Yeah, he looked over at me, and goes, "Can you say that on the radio?" <laughs> I was like, "You can if you say the second line after it." <laughs> <laughs> if you guys know Lit, you know what we're talking about. Yep. Here's an interesting thing about Lit. Last year, Lit came out as a country band. They're still playing, so but many. they came out with a country I record. I mean, Aaron Lewis Sustained is a country singer now. Yeah, but so. Sustained was supposed to go back on the road and play festivals this, this summer. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another massive band in 99 was System of a Down. Oh, oh System, System of, of a, a Down. Like, they were like, they like the, the perfect combination of uh, Sticks and Dream Theater and like a nightmare you had one time. They're like the things they do, this sort of operatic almost sensibility, the way they put songs together. It's like all of these separate parts crammed together into this one piece of heavy, heavy music. And just, you know, Surge is such a character and he does so many strange and interesting things with his voice, you know? And even, I mean, the whole band, they just look like cartoon characters almost. Yeah, isn't he, he Israeli? Is that right? He's uh, Armenian. Armenian, that's right. He's Armenian, yeah. Yeah. But so, just that whole thing where they're like, it's almost, it's almost like opera the way they put a song together. It's a piece of this and a piece of that mm-hmm. and a piece of this and this little piece over here. And we put all that together and it's one song and it's this song. Yeah. Um, interesting, man. I love like throwing back some of these bands I haven't thought about in a while. Of course, we have to put Incubus out there. For Nothing sure. left yeah. to be said. Uh, live. Um, Days of the New. Days of the uh, New, yeah. Loved. Acoustic, heavy mm. rock. Acoustic, yeah. If you don't know Days of the New, go check them out. Uh, there was some uh, some really cruddy bands that were pretty popular. Hoobastank would be one of them. Worst yeah. band name on the planet. On the planet. And they um, were kind of this sort of pop rock thing. You know what I mean? On their, you know, they had the power ballad. You know what I mean? Like the reason. Yeah. Like they yeah. kind of brought that back for a yeah. minute, you know? Um, I, I have to put a shout out in here because I've, this band, uh, Went pretty mainstream in in late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, Pod, <clears throat> but Pod started this Southern California sound, and they were like um, um, uh, forerunners in the Christian music. Yeah. Okay. 
the brown the brown album from POD. If you'll listen to the brown album from POD, it's completely unlike anything you've ever heard when it comes to this almost like a like I wouldn't say thrash, but like it's got that SoCal metal. Right. SoCal metal. Right. Um so POD's doing that and then the re- the Southtown record comes out and the f- they Gain a little steam with Southtown. The first time I heard Southtown, I was like, that was the first time I had heard a song like that that I loved. Immediately felt connected to it. Like a metal type of song? just loved it. Like a metal almost, but kind of had an urban feel to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it was it was definitely heavy rock, but it was almost like, it was like kid rock, but I liked it better. You sure. know what I mean? Like there was a. I liked the metal in it. I loved. I how loved heavy the metal was, in it, man. And I just loved that it was more about the the visceral passion of it than it was about making it pretty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It it's was authentic, and I just feel that. That's a like, theme, man. Like you know when he sings that, life doesn't have to be like that. Yes, you know yep, what I mean. And yep. it's just like he's a little sharp, and it doesn't matter. It's just like so realistic coming out of his mouth. Like so, like every word that guy sings, I feel like he wrote and meant. You know a- what I mean? Absolutely. It's 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 a rap song, right? From a SoCal gangster. That put it in rock and roll in a form that we had never heard before, and just delivers it. And with that's what so Sonny did. Much grit and passion, and it just feels so true to who that guy is right in that moment. Yeah. So, so you got Southtown. You have the Brown record, which I go listen to that. That'll that'll kind of trip you out. <laughs> the Brown record, the uh, um, Southtown, and then comes the Satellite record, which really kind of propelled. Right, that was uh, that's youth a of real the Nathan, name. Youth of the Nation, yeah. Uh, satellite, that's a real uh, alive mainstream. It's just a mainstream was, rock record, right? And obviously, Southtown put them in a place where they could make a mainstream yeah. rock record. Yeah. at that point, that's so good. Yeah. Um, we can't forget about Weezer. Uh, oh, Weezer, Weezer's still rolling around in there. Absolutely, man! <laughs> what a fun band they have been for a long time a couple decades now a long time yeah you got bands like uh um disturbed who's still killing it um one of my least favorite bands from the 90s honestly is disturbed i think all their music sounds the same drives me a little bit crazy uh drowning pool was massive you had the introduction of slipknot oh my gosh for a metalhead like me yeah like that blew my mind, and I kind of felt like I was going to go to hell if I listened to it. Yeah. Um, I, well, it you know they were they were the first band to come around in a long time that kind of gave you that vibe. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We're like, oh, these guys are really like they're really evil. They're not sort of pretending to be and evil. All that's the costumes. Yeah. It's all the costumes. That's exactly like, what they wanted. It was like, marketing. Like when I first heard about Marilyn Manson, I thought, here's what I thought about Marilyn Manson. Initially, like the first time I heard about Marilyn Manson or saw <laughs> him or them, yeah. however you want to say that, <laughs> um, the first thing I thought was, you can't that guy's do that not, to me. Here's the first thought I had about Marilyn Manson. That guy's not a Satanist. He's a capitalist. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes. But Slipknot didn't feel like that at all. No. They felt, and they felt, the they felt dangerous. Yeah. But- which is... You know, if you um, take it or leave it, sometimes that's appealing to people. If you, if you don't know, um, definitely Kiss would be an influence of Slipknot. Oh, for but sure. But the most bad to the bone underground dress up 
nasty people is Guar. Oh yeah. If you've never seen Guar, <laughs> YouTube that. <laughs> go. Don't have your kids in the room yeah. when you watch when you watch a YouTube video of Guar. Well, and that's but, that's got to be where the Lady Gaga meat dress came from, right? It, it has Gwar. to. It has to be. It has to be. I can't believe Guar came up on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or well, it had we, to happen sooner or later. Oh my gosh! So uh, disturbed and drowning pool loved bodies. That was one of my yeah. huge favorites. Like the bodies hit the floor. We loved that scream. But that um, you know that whole uh, this whole era kind of was kind of the idea that rock and roll is going to have to embrace hip hop to make it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the successful bands of that era, Linkin Park, Sum 41, Limp Biscuit, you know what I mean? With Kid Rock. Yeah. They were bringing elements of both of those things into one place to try to survive in the marketplace. You know, and here, hate me if you want to listeners, but, uh, I know we're getting up in time of our normal thing, but this is a wide subject to talk about. Um, To this day, when I hear Limp Biscuit, I like it. Yeah. To this day, I mean, but that's but they're kind of you know they kind of did the same thing Nickelback and Creed did. They sort of turned into a punchline. At some point, you know, but it's because Fred Durst is kind of a jerk. Well, he's he's kind of like Scott Stapp. Or yeah. Trad Kroger from Nickelback. You know what I mean? They rub people the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes that wears on people. Some people do it better than other people. It's not like Mick Jagger's a gentleman. You know what I mean? Mick Jagger's an arrogant person like <laughs> anybody has ever been. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And some people are just better at pulling that off than other people. So, Limp Bizkit story. Um we all have these songs in our brain that we remember where we were the first time we heard them. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard Faith by Limp Biscuit. Yeah. I had never heard it by George Michael. Oh, and really? Never. Well, I really, that was the first time I heard Limp Biscuit and liked it, was the Faith cover. Really? That was yeah. the first one they put out. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was at a friend's house in Pea Ridge. I won't throw any names out there, but I was, you know, I mean, we're we're thinking ninety seven, ninety eight, probably ninety nine. I, I, uh, I'm in I'm eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. And I hear he has the Limp Biscuit CD. Yeah, and he throws it in. He's like, "Listen to this." Well, I guess it will be nice. Yeah, and I'm like, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, and then he goes, he rolls into that scream, and I went nuts in his bedroom. Yeah, it, like. It was it was it was crazy, man. So uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of a Limp Biscuit fan, and I, yeah. Anytime I hear Nookie, I turn it up. Yeah, I do. I well, do. I think the interesting thing about this topic in particular is that this is nostalgia for me. Yeah, this is a thing where where the difference in our ages comes into play because because the bands that were out in '99 to 2002 for you. We're in a. I'm in a different place in my life, right? The bands that I heard from '89 to '92. Yeah, let's talk about those. Would be would be a different thing, you know. That yeah, would I'm be, in kindergarten. That would be about <laughs> the time. That would be about the same age, though. Yeah, you know I mean, the bands I was listening to in that time 
would be similar to the bands that you were listening to at this time and had a similar impact on me because we're talking about, uh, you know, bands like uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, sure. Which obviously was a cultural shift, much like what we're talking about today. And then immediately on the heels of that, almost three or four years later, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the launch of the grunge movement. You know what I mean? So, So I get it. I get it because I, I heard a lot of stuff in that time, or I heard a few things in that time where I went, the whole world is different now than it was yesterday because I just heard "Welcome to the Jungle" for the first time. Sure, I've heard many people tell stories about the first time they heard "Welcome to the Jungle." I can take you to the exact spot I was on planet Earth when I heard that song the first time. I could take you right there, right now. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope we brought some memories back to you on some of these bands. I want to say, um, just as kind of an aside, like uh, to the audience, when Wade, Wade, this is a Wade topic. Wade brought this topic up. Obviously, <laughs> it's a, it was a time, an influential time in his life and a passionate time in his life. But when I started digging into it, I found a lot more gold in there than I ever thought I would. It was It was much more interesting once I started looking at that era and the music of that era then it then it sounded to me in my head. And so right. I was really excited about doing this after I just like simply just Googled a few things. I was like, wow, what a rich topic this is. Yeah, it's very it's very rich and it's way more influential than we really even than know. We re- yeah, it's like this yeah. under under yeah. appreciated moment. Yeah, I mean honestly, if if I'm there is a great metal scene right now. There's a great progressive rock scene right no. now, like Octane and stuff. I'm I'm serious that got those yeah. kind of bands, but man, after oh five oh six, like where did rock and roll go? It went gone. It went oh, gone. it it yeah. left, and I forgot a band that cannot be forgotten from late ninety nine, and that's Chevelle. Oh and, my goodness, uh, dude, dude, Chevelle, anything Chevelle that yeah. they are fantastic. I've seen them three times in my life. Once just last year, and they're still amazing. An awesome three-piece, just yeah. power trio, awesome man. rock and roll band. Yep. Um, Chevelle band. came out with the Red, um, the Clincher, all of these songs that were massive at that time. Uh, very influential on my musical taste and my style. But uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope we haven't rambled. Rambled. I hope we haven't lost you. But I got some new music for the week. And uh, I'm going to play off of my um, uh, one of the first bands we mentioned, and that is Linkin Park. Uh, about six months before Chester Bennington, uh, re- uh, rest in peace, Mr. Bennington, uh, before he joined Linkin Park, he had been in a band called The Gray Days, G-R-A-Y-D-A-Z-E, yep. Gray Days, um, and... Uh, he had recorded, uh, I think, two records with them, and then he left and joined Lincoln Park, and then we all know what happened with Lincoln Park. But just recently, um, the original members of Grey Days have came back together, remade the record musically, and kept Chester's unadulterated teenage vocals on this record. It's And it... Ugh. Is I mean it's '90s. You can feel it. It's yeah. '90s rock and roll, 
But man, I'm telling you, it's so amazing. If you're a fan of Lincoln Park or even Chester Bennington, go check out Gray Days, D-A-Z-E, and uh, you won't be disappointed, guys. Yeah, and it, let me just say, we all know rock singers don't age well. It's a very hard thing to do for your voice. This is a rock singer at the peak of his powers, and he's singing songs that he wrote and loved. Yep. You know what I mean? And you hear it. You hear it in, in all the notes that he sings. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and recommend the new Caitlin Smith album called Supernova. I've listened to it a few times. It came out last week. Uh, it's just a great record. It's a country record, kind of like a mainstream country record, which is not a thing that's in my wheelhouse. You're weird. I just really like her voice. I like the way she puts a song together. She's pretty. Uh, she's a songwriter and very unapologetic about what she thinks and sings. And uh, I just really like the record, so I'm just gonna. I talked about it on the last episode, but I'm yeah. gonna talk about it again and just say, hey, go out and listen to Supernova. Listen to it front to back and give it up, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you next time on the Music Box.